contact, making, contact. Making, making, making contact. I'm Monica Lopez, and this week on Making Contact. The Census Bureau is finally releasing new data from 2020, and the results show a more diverse nation than ever before, with the population of white Americans dropping for the first time since records began back in 1790. Here in central Texas, as we continue our census coverage, Texas is more diverse than ever before. Austin, also more diverse than ever. Census data released this week showing Asians are now the fastest growing ethnic group in California and right here in our area. Chicago remains the third largest city in the U.S. according to data released today by the U.S. Census Bureau. The population grew by nearly 51,000 from 2010 to 2020. The growth was fueled by Asians, followed by the Latinx community with an increase of about 41,000. The city saw the largest drop in its black population, declining by almost 85,000 compared to 2010. As of April 2020, the total population in the U.S., according to the census, was roughly 331.5 million people. Asian American and Pacific Islander and Latino populations grew significantly in some parts of the country. And it bears repeating, the white population decreased for the first time ever. Whites are still the largest racial group in the country. However, in California, Latinos are now the largest ethnic group in the state. Nationally, Latinos grew to over 18% of the total population and are now the second largest ethnic group in the U.S. One important question is how these population shifts will affect voting districts. Sunny Wachnin is the Voting Rights Managing Attorney and Counsel at UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. Every 10 years, the one of the only things that is required of the United States government is to do this thing called the census. The decennial census, it happens in years that end with zero. So unfortunately, it happened in 2020 during a global pandemic. Um, and so based off the census, in years ending in one, when census data comes out, a lot of jurisdictions have to do this thing called redistricting, which means take their existing district boundaries uh, for school board, city council, uh, county and even the state legislative districts and congressional districts, and they have to redraw those districts based off of how the population increased, decreased, changed in certain places. Um, so they have to do that and also comply with this thing called the Voting Rights Act, which is federal law, which um, prevents racial discrimination in voting. And so redistricting is a really important process. Unfortunately, it's also kind of complicated if you're a regular person. We'll hear more from Sunny Wachnin on the ins and outs of redistricting later in the show. First, we turn to the Midwest and the state of Wisconsin, where the Latino population grew by 33%, surpassing the state's African-American population. This took place across the state in smaller towns and rural enclaves, but a majority of the state's Latinos live in Milwaukee. Wisconsin-based reporter Zoe Sullivan traveled to Milwaukee for the story. On the south side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, one of the state's leading social justice organizations is having its gala. My 
name is Naya Rodriguez. I've been in YES for three years now, and I'm a senior at Reagan High School. YES stands for Youth Empowered in Struggle, a youth group affiliated with Voces de la Frontera, a political action group focused on immigrants' rights. Naya attended the Milwaukee-based organization's gala in mid-September. The biggest thing for me is I'm turning 18 in about 10 days, so I'm just waiting to register to vote. But until then, I've done canvassing for uh, both spring, uh, the spring primary elections this past year, and then a few years ago as well, also with the 2020 elections, because that was like the biggest deal for Latin Americans all over. Even if Naya hasn't been able to cast a ballot, she has used her voice to encourage other people to do so. Naya identifies as both Puerto Rican and Black, and she's one of YES's roughly 200 members spread across 10 schools in the Milwaukee area. I always feel so like at home, like I'm doing the right thing when I'm at a protest. So my name is Allison Vasquez Lovell, and I am the Milwaukee Youth Organizer for Voces de la Frontera. YES is really about empowering students to identify issues in their school and in their community and then to impact and make change. Um, so really it's just building their leadership skills and giving them the autonomy to make decisions and listening to them because honestly they know better than most adults. According to the most recent census data, the Hispanic population in Wisconsin increased by 33% over the last decade. Naya is part of a new Latino generation in a state where, as in the rest of the country, the white population has been declining. This demographic shift means that Latinos have an opportunity to wield more power, but the state's extreme gerrymandering could thwart the political change dictated by the numbers. Latino neighborhoods in Milwaukee on the near south side, we actually saw neighborhoods that showed reduced populations. This is Sachin Sheda, chair of the Wisconsin Fair Maps Coalition and the director of the Fair Elections Project. Here's Naya. The thing about Milwaukee is that it's actually one of the most segregated cities in the entire nation. So um, in Milwaukee, the south side is predominantly where Hispanics grow up. The north side is where black people grow up. And then the east side or the west side is typically more affluent, or it can be. Today, Milwaukee sits firmly within the Rust Belt, consistently ranking as one of the poorest cities in the country. With 40% of its residents identifying as African-American, it has the largest black population in an overwhelmingly white state. Images of long lines during the spring primary election last year shocked people around the country after the state Supreme Court overruled the governor's postponement of the vote. Because of a pandemic-related poll worker shortage, Milwaukee saw its polling places drop from 182 to 5. The city's WTMJ News shared this. For today. Officials are saying to be prepared for long lines. This is going to be a bit hectic for everyone today. The biggest thing to note is that there are changes to where you can vote. Here are the five voting Chita locations. says the lower population count in those Southside Milwaukee neighborhoods is not because people moved away. We think that's because of the shenanigans pulled in the Trump Census Bureau and the Trump Commerce Department to discourage participation in the census. And so we think folks were undercounted. Shortly after the new census data was released, a group of nonpartisan organizations filed a lawsuit affirming that the way Wisconsin's electoral districts are drawn violates the 14th Amendment. Voces de la Frontera is one of three plaintiffs. The group's been advocating for immigrants' rights in Wisconsin since 1998. 
Vosis's executive director, Christine Newman-Ortiz, explained why her organization sued. We already knew that we would have to uh, challenge the proposed maps that the Republicans would introduce. We had to do that 10 years ago to defend Latino voting rights, and we anticipated that the growth and the need to uh, legally challenge efforts to suppress the votes of um, this growing community. In Wisconsin, the legislature draws the maps that determine voting districts. Wisconsin's 2011 redistricting took place behind closed doors, with state representatives sworn to secrecy when they were shown the new maps. The result was perhaps the most egregious gerrymandering in modern American history. Here's Cheda again. The votes go back and forth between Democrats and Republicans, depending on the election year. The Republicans have entrenched themselves in Wisconsin with a supermajority in the state legislature, no matter what happens in the election. The state's Democrats have filed a lawsuit calling on federal courts to draw the new maps, while a conservative law firm has filed another suit asking that the state's courts do the job. Vosis's complaint argues that instead of seven majority Black districts in the Milwaukee area, the current maps only have six. They say that effectively limits the ability of African-Americans to elect representatives from within their own community. So I think the purpose of these lawsuits is to ensure that if the legislature and the governor can't agree on a map, that we have a process ready to go for the federal court or the state court to impose a map so that we have uh, equal population districts that comply with the Voting Rights Act uh, when we move to elections next year. These efforts to draw fair maps dovetail with the vision for the future young people like Naya bring. Just seeing that in my community, it was just mostly black people who didn't have access to anything. Um, it just showed a lot like, wow, like things have changed and they need to change soon. Naya has been involved with get out the vote efforts because electing government officials can help push for that change. We know that we had a, a necessary and critical impact on the November 2020 elections. Voces Actions Director Christine Numan-Ortiz says her group has been organizing Latinos to develop their power since the mid-aughts. They spent more than a year and a half engaging voters prior to the 2020 elections. We built out a, a network of over 20,000 uh, Latino and multiracial youth voters, the majority of which are um, infrequent or new voters. So it was with a dis less than 1% of the vote, um, we know uh, we, we delivered. And people are proud. They know that we delivered. That fact wasn't lost on anyone and was undeniably a factor in the recounts that were requested only in Milwaukee and Dane counties. Madison, the state capital, is located in Dane County. WISN News reported on that. It wrapped up this afternoon. The Board of Canvassers approved the results tonight. President-elect Joe Biden picked up 257 votes from the unofficial election night results. Milwaukee President has the Donald highest Trump. number of Latinos in the state, but more than a quarter of the residents of the nearby town of Delavan identify as Hispanic, according to census data. That makes it the place with the most concentrated Hispanic population in Wisconsin. The phenomenon of growing Latino communities in small towns around the state ties to dairy farming and food processing plants. Vosis director Newman Ortiz says that because Wisconsin's Latino population is spread across urban and rural areas, 
The state's redistricting process offers a way to address shared issues. One of those is access to driver's licenses, something undocumented immigrants have been unable to obtain in the wake of changes made post 9-11. Our hope is that we can uh, challenge this very undemocratic uh, state legislature so that we can have more accountability with our elected officials because, for example, the reinstatement of driver's licenses is something that is very popular, actually even across you know party lines, but um, because of kind of party politics and top-down party politics, it's not accountable to the community. Newman Ortiz says that Vosis' political action arm helped elect six Latino candidates in the Milwaukee area. We're very interested in looking at opportunities at the local and state level for school board races, city, county, um, to identify people from the community who are very involved, who have the, the skills for the job. A couple days after the gala, Naya and hundreds of others traveled across the country to urge Congress to create a pathway to citizenship for central frontline workers, dreamers, and other immigrants. Okay. I'm in D.C. I'm really excited. We're going to march to the Capitol for citizenship for all. Um, my first time in D.C. Really excited. I feel the energy. Newman Ortiz says the trip represents a tipping point. Our message was for them to really understand that we had to really work hard um, to give the Biden administration and Democrats a second chance under this administration and, um, and that they have to deliver because um, this is it. This is the end of the line for Latino voters and for multiracial youth that have been part of this movement that this is the end of the line. Uh, they cannot come back empty-handed and uh, assume that people will treat them as the lesser of two evils in the primaries or in the general elections in 2022. For Making Contact, I'm Zoe Sullivan in Madison, Wisconsin. From the Midwest to New England to the Dakotas and Tennessee, a number of other states have crossed a 10% population threshold for Latino growth. One of those states is Georgia. In Georgia, the story really is um, that the AAPI and Latino populations are driving the growth in Georgia. Um, what's really interesting is when it, for the in, in terms of voting rights um, and voting, there's this thing called Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 203 says that language assistance materials, and in some cases, bilingual poll workers, have to be provided to voters who are part of a designated language minority group. So people who speak Asian, American Indian, Alaska Native, and Spanish languages are covered. So for example, the entire state of California is covered under Section 203 of the Voting Rights Act for um, Spanish. Um, so every county is supposed to provide election materials like the two in in Spanish in Gwinnett County I believe which is also in metro Atlanta um they're covered under section 203 for Spanish um they have a sizable latino population that meets these certain designated thresholds in section 203 um section 203 is inc was incredibly important for latino communities and being able to access the right to vote um 
you know, the 1965 Voting Rights Act was probably one of the most amazing achievements of American democracy um, and really put us on the path to being a true democracy. You're listening to A More Perfect Union, Latinos, Minority Majorities, and Redistricting on Making Contact. For information about the topics, people, and organizations we're covering in the show, check out our website at radioproject.org. That's radioproject.org. We'll be right back. So we know what the census is and how redistricting data affects the way we draw maps for voting districts. We've heard how a growing Latino electorate in Wisconsin contributed to the election of Democratic President Joe Biden in 2020. In September of 2021, California held a $276 million recall election of another Democrat, Governor Gavin Newsom. And so I'm humbled and grateful to the millions and millions of Californians that exercise their fundamental right to vote. And thank you to 40 million Americans, 40 million Californians, and thank you for rejecting this recall. According to the UCLA Latino Policy and Politics Initiative, in voting precincts where the greatest number of Latinos live, over 60% voted against the recall of their Democratic governor. In precincts with the fewest number of Latinos, less than half voted in favor of the recall. Talk of a citizenship question on the census, which did not take place, possibly resulted in an undercount of Latinos. There is, uh, it's pretty well documented and I think publicized, and hopefully people know about this, that the Trump administration tried to put a citizenship question on the census. Um, the census, you are legally required to fill out the census because the federal government is legally required under the U.S. Constitution to count every single person. Um, and and so um, in order to kind of undercount not just people that might not be citizens, right, but undercount and scare communities of all kind um, or turn people off from ans- answering the census, they decided to try to put a citizenship question. Um, that it was uh, that that idea, that question: Could the could the Trump uh, Census Bureau put a citizen, citizenship question on the census? Made its way all the way to Supreme Court, um, and they said, "No, you can't do that." Um, but the damage was already done. Like people were pretty turned off by this, um, and there is some research that Dr. Barreto, who is the faculty director of the UCLA Voting Rights Project, did. He was also an expert witness in this. It's called the citizenship question case. Um, and in that case, um, he was an expert witness and testified about how it would just ha- it would have an effect on, you know, not just non-citizens who wouldn't want to answer the question, but second generation, third generation Americans who live in communities that are probably filled with immigrants um, because they were turned off and they didn't want to intimidate anyone in their community. It's a pretty intimidating question. You're giving your information to a hostile 
uh, government uh, towards you, famously the Trump administration. And President Trump himself would say a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric. Um, And so in California, a a state that has a high um, immigrant population, not just documented, but also undocumented immigrants, um, people probably didn't want to answer the census because they were scared of giving their information to the Trump Census Department. To a lot of people who felt like the the administration the Trump administration was attacking their communities, I think the idea is not so much, you know, it's not knowing really what the census is. Um but then also like why would I want to give my information to the government under Trump? Um and so that was pretty powerful. And I, I think either way, like the, the reason why this is a big deal, I think, and this is really important to talk about, is like, oh, well, why does this matter? Like, who cares about like asking about this question? Um, it's because the national trend and the national trend is that whites are share like the, the white voter share and then also like the white population in this country is dressed is like falling and it's fallen for the first time. Um, in American history, that white growth has been outpaced by other growth. Um, this is a tremendously diversifying nation. And so that is threatening to people who believe that diverse people don't want to vote for them. And so the idea is that if you can change or um, suppress the demographic change, because the census is what matters for redistricting. So if you can undercount diverse communities by scaring them, then they won't show up on the census. So even though they exist there, you don't have to count them in for redistricting because the only real numbers that matter for that for the initial form of redistricting, um, you know, barring some, barring a court case or, a, you know, later on, or I guess just to make it simpler, uh, it mattered to scare people into not answering the census because there was a belief that the people who would be scared are are diverse people and the people who would be emboldened to answer a question like that would be people who are not as diverse or who didn't have concerns about, you know, the idea of citizenship or, or sharing their personal information with with the government. And those are the people that they that decision makers on that question thought would vote for them. If people aren't counted in the census, then they're not included in the overall number of people to consider when drawing district maps in the redistricting process. Every state has their own redistricting process. As we heard earlier, community groups are contesting the process in Wisconsin, where the state legislature has historically drawn the maps. In California, there are redistricting commissions at every level of government, from the state to the counties, school districts, and cities. Voting rights attorney, Sunny Wachneen. LA, LA City is redistricting and they've appointed people. The different different city councilors have appointed people to redistrict. LA County this year has had a public um, redistricting commission where then what happens is they select commissioners who've applied from the public um, and then they hire staff so experts to help help these commissioners draw the districts. It's so in other <laughs> words, it's a very tangled, complicated process um, when you get down to the local level. 
yeah, when you get down to the local level, I think especially in California, there's a lot of different places doing things differently. So, um, yeah, in L.A. County, uh, they adopted for the county, they have adopted a citizens commission in the city. They've adopted they've appointed people to um, kind of run the hearings and help adopt a map to insult to kind of remove it from the L.A. city councilors. Um, for example, in Orange County, the, the county supervisors are going to be drawing their districts um, with the help of experts and staff that they've hired. So it's just it's different all over the place. Mm-hmm. I think the concept, right, for a um, independent commission is really that citizens, for the most part, want to do they don't have the same um, motivations as elected officials on how they draw districts. Uh, for example, elected officials, uh, they would like to draw districts that will keep them in power and they're able to and they might broker deals with other elected officials on a map to say, OK, well, you know, I'll cut out this area of your district that might be more Republican or more Democrat if you put it in my district. So that way I have an easier election and that in that way, you know, X, Y, Z or I really want the airport and the ports in my district because I think I want that power, right, over those people um, or as like a bargaining chip later on in the, or I want this area because I think it might have a lot of demographic change in the future and those might be voters that I can win. Um, Those are some of the motivations that elected officials may have. Um, Citizens don't really have those same motivations because although a lot of citizens are partisan, um, Citizen commissions recognize that people are partisan. They take the equal amount of, you know, in California, Republicans and Democrats and then also non-affiliated voters. They vet them to make sure that they're not lobbyists, that they haven't done, you know, I think contributed a certain amount of money to political candidates. And that even though they come with these political leanings or non-political leanings, supposedly as a nonpartisan or that they're whatever, that they want to do a good job. And they want to follow the law. And so what happens really on these independent commissions is that you have people who then go out and hire experts to then draw the maps um, as well. And it's a little bit more of a public process. There's this, you know, RFPs, a lot of different organizations can then bid on it. Um, that's kind of the concept is that people don't have the same motivations as politicians um, in drawing maps and that they'll be more responsive because they're closer to their own communities. And I think that also people of all different types, I think if you look at even the polling for H.R. 1, which is bans partisan gerrymandering, people don't like the idea of politicians cementing themselves in power, regardless of how you feel about your elected official. You might really like them. You might like, you know, be a heavily partisan person. Um, But in that respect, people don't really like the concept of politicians picking and choosing their voters. Walkneen explains that the downside to the Citizen Commission and the redistricting process is that it's highly technical. I just want to say also it's it's not just about, again, like political power, like who represents you. It's also about resources, about um, getting money for roads and for and for your school districts and having different having a different voice again. Yeah. On like, are you going to put a community garden there? And like, is that actually, you know, who's deciding what? Um, and it's not just in the political sense. It's also in these really other important contexts that people care about. 
Sunny Wachneen is the Voting Rights Managing Attorney and Counsel at UCLA's Latino Policy and Politics Initiative. You've been listening to A More Perfect Union, Latinos, Minority Majorities, and Redistricting on Making Contact. For information about topics, people, and organizations that we covered in this program, check out our website at radioproject.org. The Making Contact team is Jessica Partnow, Sonia Green, Anita Johnson, Salima Hamorani, Sabine Blazin, and I'm this week's host, Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.